When I qualified in 2013 from dental school, I had never at that stage done a ceramic onlay or any sort of overlay restoration. In fact, it was full crowns when I was qualifying. A lot of the training that I had was on PFM, so porcelain fused to metal crowns. And I look and reflect on my dentistry and how much of it is adhesive and how much I rely on lithium disilicate onlays and overlays. Now, part of the learning process, I learned about immediate dentine sealing, which is what today's episode is all about. And I've been doing this since about 2015. It's something I implemented in my protocol because I went on a Jason Smithson course and I saw that he was teaching it and he recommended it. So me being a good listener, I said, okay, if Jason says do IDS, I did IDS. But over the years, the more lectures I've been to, the more literature I've read, the significance and power of immediate dentine sealing really cannot be underplayed. In terms of the improvement in your bonding and the overall success and longevity of restorations, it just makes a lot of sense, which is why I know you're going to love this episode with Dr. Zaid Sheikh, all about immediate dentine sealing, step by step. Every little geeky detail will be covered, but more importantly, whether you've never done IDS before, you will feel confident to do so. And if this is something that you do all the time, you get to understand a bit more of the rationale, the science, and the alternative options, different ways of doing it. Zahid does it differently to how I do it, and so you get to listen to both views. In fact, this episode was full of so much goodness, I had to split it into two episodes. So in this episode, we're focusing on the preparation appointment. How do you actually perform the immediate dentine sealing? And then the part two will be the fit appointment. You've got your lab work back, and now you're going to remove your temporary and then reactivate that IDS, whatever that means. You'll figure out what that means. We'll go through it in extensive, protrusive style detail. Now, these two episodes will be part of February's Adhesive Month. That's right, I'm reintroducing themes for 2024. I think a few years ago we did it. We had like Splint Timber for September and we had Straight Pearl for Orthodontics. So February will be Adhesive Month. And so 50% of any month, the episodes will be on that theme. One of the reasons I wanted to reintroduce themes for the whole year is to mark a huge change that's happening in Protrusive. We're actually launching the new app. So the existing app that we have, great place for content, but you know what's lacking in the existing app, which is why I'm moving next week and I'm bringing you all with me. I'm absolutely upgrading the Protrusive experience. It's all about people. It's all about you. It's all about the Protruserati. It's all about community. You see, all those years ago when I made the Facebook group, I literally thought only 200 people would show up. And every now and then I might mention the Facebook group and you guys go out your way to find it and request your access in it. And now we've built a community of 3,200 dentists, which I know is not a crazy number, but what I love about our little group is that everyone is so kind and geeky. And so the philosophy of the new protrusive community, the new platform we're moving to is the home of the nicest and geekiest dentists in the world. You see, when you join a new Facebook group, very rarely do you see, hi, my name is Ian, I'm a dentist from Newcastle, and this is what I like. But on the app that I launched last year, dentists have been doing this. They've been introducing themselves, and it's been so nice to see that. You know, together we've built a community where everyone feels safe with each other, and everyone tries to embody the values of being geeky and being nice. So thank you so much for sticking with Protrusive for all these years. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining. You kind of get an idea of what we're all about. And I welcome you all to join the new app experience, the new platform, the new online platform which you can access on your desktop, on mobile. It's called Protrusive Guidance. You guys actually helped me with this name. Protrusive Guidance is going to be better than Facebook. Facebook is somewhere you go for convenience and there happen to be dental groups and you post on there, but you keep getting distracted by Auntie Vivian's birthday and the cat videos and Mark Zuckerberg watching you through his webcam and all the ads and stuff. And I also feel bad about all the dentists who mess with me that say I'm not on Facebook. How can I access more of the community features? And this is where the magic is really going to happen. And the thing that I'm most excited about is the search function. You know I've been frustrated with my own app 
that the technology doesn't have a search function. So I've upgraded it in a huge way. This is gonna be so beautiful, so clean, and I can't wait to welcome you there. So let me just go through the rest of the year's themes so you know what's gonna be happening throughout 2024. Okay, so February is Adhesive Dentistry. And part of every month, we have a, an episode with student Emma Hutchison. She's the protrusive student, if you like. And we're gonna be putting some stuff out specifically for students, which you guys can join into as well. But like revision notes, Emma's notes are awesome. So watch out for that. So every month ties in with some revision notes. Next month, March will be documentation. It's be photography, videography, and even record keeping. How can we improve all these facets? April will be all about mental health. It is after all, Stress Awareness Month. And I've already recorded some great episodes I cannot wait to release in April. In May, we've got a cheesy one. It's May the Force be with you. It's orthodontics. Before a meaty one in June, it's be crowns and onlays. And in June, I'll be taking a group of dentists to Sicily to learn from Marco Mailino on vertical preparations. And that actually ties in quite nicely with the theme of crowns and onlays for June. In July, we'll do periodontics. God help us all. It's, a, it's more of service for you guys because this period is not my biggest thing in the world. But you know what? It's got to be covered, right? It's the foundation of all our restorative dentistry. In August, we'll be covering removal pros. So we can all lift our game in our dentistry before the true love occlusion in September. That doesn't mean that there won't be occlusion all the rest of the month. Remember I said 50% of the episodes that month will be that theme, but we'll really go for it in September into occlusion. In October, we've got a huge one again, communication. I'm gonna make sure that the guests that we get on in October are gonna help us to become better communicators, not only with our patients, but generally in life because communication is powerful. In November, I've got oral med and oral pathology planned for wrapping up 2024 in December with a dentist life balance. So we've got a lot of exciting stuff to look forward to this year. This episode's Protrusive Dental Pearl. Every episode, I'll give you one top tip. And this month is a communication one. On Friday, just a few days ago, I was lecturing in Cheltenham, a beautiful race course. And my topic was Bruxism and the restorative dentist. And now and again, I, I like to just walk up to you know, some of the delegates. And I was speaking to one of the delegates who work nearby, a very experienced dentist. And we we're just talking about the longevity of work and how proud we need to be that our work can last so long in someone's mouth. And we discussed this scenario whereby you have like a, a long-standing bridge, been there for like you know 20, 30 years, and eventually it fails. And the patient will be upset because you know they're mourning it, they're mourning the loss of their bridge that's been there for so many years. But we sometimes need to help the patients realize that it's done incredibly well to last that long. Like the mouth is a hostile environment and you're constantly battering it, you're chewing, you're putting forces down it, and it's actually magic that it lasted all that time in the first place. I sometimes say to my patients, what can you buy today that will still be there in 20 years or 25 years, however long that bridge lasted? And the tip this dentist gave, this communication tip to add to it was, this bridge owes us nothing. It's been there for 25 years and it doesn't owe us anything. I just love that saying, I just wanted to pass it on to you. So when you next have that failure and the patient looks a bit gutted, just remind them how well it actually did to last that long in such a hostile environment. This episode will be eligible for 50 minutes of CPD or CE. And I'll give you the instructions at the end and the outro as always. So let's join the main episode and I'll catch you in the outro. Zahid Sheikh, welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast. Fellow Protrusive wearing your hoodie. I love it. Of How course, are you? Of course, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on, Jazz. It's been a long time. You coming. got this hoodie because of, of, of a porter, right? We went to yes. Portugal for the vertical yes. course with Andre Cardoso. Uh, yes. And so yours is much more ironed my, than my, my <laughs> literally, I, did, I saw you wearing it. I had to quickly go to my gym bag and get out this scrunched up version. But for, for those Spotify and, and, and Apple, you won't, you won't know that, obviously. So it's, it's all good. <laughs> Just tell us, buddy, where, where in the world are you? So I'm working and I'm based in Greater London, Essex area, like the border between London and Essex. I'm right on the border and I also work in Essex and Southend, working in private practice, really enjoying it. 
and uh, doing general dentistry mixed bag of all different things and I love it and I love your dentistry on social media I love all the educational things that you post uh, and I love that you joined us in Porto and you know got to connect with you a little bit more and they get to know you your fa- you know, about your family and stuff so I know you a little bit now and uh, I-, I wanted to speak to you about immediate dentine sealing today yes which is such a huge hot topic in, in, in adhesive dentistry so before we do that just tell us about a little bit about your journey where did you qualify from and what, what got you into general dentistry a lot of people like you know specialize and stuff but well, you he, seem to be a bit like me you embrace general dentistry now correct me if i'm wrong how did that happen so i graduated from the university of dundee in scotland obviously i was born and raised in london and i ended up somehow ending up on the other end of the country studying and learning there it was a completely different world got to learn a whole different way of life different values and i absolutely loved it i still have lots of friends up there i haven't been back very much since i graduated but um still got lots of love up there and um, so after practice, I went into my foundation training, came back to London for my foundation training. My plan initially during my undergraduate years was to just go on and do MaxFax. That was my plan. Finish dentistry, get the best marks that I could, then go and apply for medicine and then do MaxFax. I did my vocational training year and I absolutely loved general practice. All the bits and pieces, the intricacies, the 0.5 millimeters of this and that, that I thought was just went way over my head when I was at university. I fell in love with all of that. Like the meticulousness and the artistry, I just love all of that when it comes to dentistry. So general practice allows me to do everything that I wanted to do about working with different people, seeing, uh, building relationships with my patients and getting to be able to see my work back and you know work on my failures and get better. Because I've only got where I am today by being ultra critical of my own work. And that's that's what I definitely recommend to anyone who really wants to upskill. It's clear to all of us who uh, go on your social media that you're a very reflective practitioner and that that is super, super clear and how you analyse and the different photo shots you take. And so that is amazingly clear. As a GDP, I just want to stress and point out, and, and you probably heard me say this on the podcast before, that as GDP is like we have one of the most toughest gigs in the world. In the world of dentistry, GDP is like is super tough right we all know that sometimes it's nice to be specialized and, and have your tiny little niche which you're like an expert in but as a general dentist we put a lot of pressure on ourselves you have to be a jack of all trades and that can be very very difficult but the beauty of being a gdp is the ability and the permission to cherry pick and so i want to say go for it guys if you want to cherry pick go for it you've earned it right you're a general dentist you don't have to treat everyone and everything and if you draw a line somewhere you'll be a much happier clinician do you echo that as well yeah no for sure i'm i'm the sort of person and i have that slight competitive edge that i just want to be as good as i can be at everything but over time i've realized that sometimes it's just not worth the hassle of trying to take on the difficult case that you know is out with your skill set and it'd be better off managed by someone else. And I think as you continue in your career, you realize how to find the red flags in terms of the treatments and as well as the patients, which are better off being seen by someone else, really. And that's the great thing about being a general dentist is that we can refer on. We can at some point say, this is out with my skill set and someone else is better treating you. Another thing that I really, really like about being a general dentist is that you know, you've got your periodontists, you've got your restorative dentists, you've got your endodontists, but we are generalists. So we are, we're a jack of all trades, basically. And I think that makes us very special. And it will prevent, by doing the whole cherry picking thing, it'll prevent these uh, sticky situations that you get into. And therefore, talking of sticky situations, let's dive right into immediate dentine sealing. See what I did there, yeah? yeah uh, so lovely. what is IDS, as they call it? Like, Why has it become such a in thing, a buzz thing in dentistry? So I would say IDS has become very 
very widespread and very sort of a hot topic at the moment because adhesive dentistry has exploded in the world. I mean, when, when you were an undergraduate, when I was an undergraduate, we would talk about composite and bonding, but everything was very traditional. Everything was very... PFM, uh, like PFM, PFM all the way, right? That was yeah. like, yeah. Just your conventional cements, GIC, Fuji Plus, Keytech, that was it. Like you'd submit your restoration. Zinc phosphate. Was... Have you ever used zinc yes, phosphate? yeah. 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 You know, it, until even until recently, I've used zinc phosphate. So now, now I haven't used zinc phosphate for a few years now. But you know, it's it's still a part of our training. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I remember revising zinc phosphate for my restorative exams. Oh, oh my god, PTSD. But um, <laughs> but yeah. So IDS, which is immediate dentine sealing, is all about protecting freshly cut dentine. So we've gone through a period of where enamel is king. Enamel bonding is very very important. But we have to also appreciate that dentine bonding is incredibly important, if not more important than enamel bonding. Because a lot of the time when we're working, especially on posterior teeth, we don't have a massive amount. We've got more dentine surface area wise than we have enamel to work with. So being able to protect that dentine is really, really important for our restorations. And now that we're using adhesive restorations, we need to be able to marry up both the dentine, the resin and the indirect restoration to bring everything together and last long term. So the technique was first published in and around yeah, 2005. Can I just pause you there, Zahid, actually, and before we go into the history of it, a really good point you raised there about, you know, we look for enamel, 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 but then we've got to give some love to the dentine. And an interesting lecture I attended some years ago from uh, Professor Avijit Banerjee. Mm-hmm. He showed these numbers, but what's the actual bond strength? And I'm sure you probably got, you know, got this and talk about later that we can actually achieve to different materials. And, you know, enamel is good. We can achieve a good bond strength to enamel. And the main thing is that you can consistently, by doing a few simple things, it's easy to get high bond strengths to enamel. Okay. The fascinating thing I found at the time, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you can actually get a higher bond strength to dentine than you can with enamel. Like that, that blew my mind the first time. Wait, wait, is that, is that right? It's just that it's less predictable. Like to reach hey, that hey. all the time, there's yeah. a, a few nuances. Obviously, we'll, we're going to touch on that today to how we can get those higher bond strengths. Anything you want to add to that before you talk about the historical perspectives of IDS? So I would say that enamel is enamel. It's an, it's an inorganic substance and it's there and it's readily available. Whereas dentine, I mean, there are nuances when you can have hyperplastic enamel and things like that. But generally, enamel is enamel. With dentine, you can have discolored dentine. You can have a rest dentine that, you know, filled with bacteria. You can have dentine Scrosed. that's discrosed dentine, arrested caries. You, you've got dentine that's been affected by amalgam. Dentine that's been sitting there with a root-treated tooth however many years. So you can get a, a very, and it's an organic substance as well. And those collagen fibers are king when it comes to dentine bonding. So being able to manipulate and work with them is really, really important for a long-lasting, strong bond. And that's I think that's the key bit here is a long-lasting bond. But we'll go through the science and everything. But there, there's, Please, let, let's I start mean, with the history. Yeah, so it was first, the technique was published by Pascal Manu and his team in, in around 2005. And what they found was that the main key thing was that the mean microtensile bond strength of dentine, which had been immediately sealed, compared to dentine, which had been sealed at cementation. So you've got dentine that's been sealed before you take the impression, and you've got dentine that's been sealed when you're about to cement your restoration. And then when we're talking about microtensile, we're talking about the stretchability, how much you can stretch or pull on that bond before it breaks. So it's all about testing to failure, basically. So Amanier's group found that dentine that had been immediately sealed after it had been freshly cut prior to taking an impression, was shown to be microtensile bond strength was found to be about five times greater than dentine that had been sealed at the cementation stage. So not only did it um, improve the uh, microtensile bond strength, but it also showed a variety of other things that we'll go through as well. 
Um, but that was the I mean, that's a significant multiple, isn't it? Five is a significant yeah, multiple. Yeah, and, it, and we, yeah, when we're talking about dentistry, we can have lots of papers which show slight improvements in certain things, but it comes down to what is the clinical relevance and is it clinically significant? And this was massively clinically significant. So, were you, were you there, Zahid, at the Dental and Tubules? I think it was a, either a year ago, two years ago, a Marco Griznitz lecture. Were, were you there at Tubules? Unfortunately, I was not, but. I know he, he's published a piece of paper recently about, I think it was an 11-year review on indirect on veneers, restoration. On Yes, yes, I think it was, yeah. Uh, no, but, but it may well be. But I was blown away, right, because what he was showing was his audit data. And it looked really sophisticated of him collecting all his data, right? Uh, and then he was showing about what great results they get with veneers and how long they're lasting. And then I, I was being a little bit skeptical, like, oh, obviously, Marco, you're like treating 19-year-olds post-orthodontics. <laughs> like, obviously, you know, your, your results will be good, high-quality enamel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and then he was saying the usual stuff that, well, you know, the more enamel you have, the better, the, the more dentin you have, the worse. But then he said, actually, we now can say we have a 100% success rate. Now, in dentistry, anyone who says 100% success rate is, is full of shit. Yeah. Right, absolutely full of shit. And I've learned this, like, you know, I've, I've mentors who I respect and love, but then they make this very bold claim and then I see their failures and I kind of, you know, spite my tongue. Uh, but, you know, there's no such thing. But this guy... He was showing this amazing data, obviously 100% at a certain point. It could be five years, 10 years, whatever it was. Yeah. But the, 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 the thing was, the, the fascinating thing Zahid was that he was showing that when you had a significant amount of dentine or veneer, veneers in dentine, the way his group were able to get near, or he, for him was 100% success rate at a certain time, basically, mm-hmm. was immediate dentine seeding. And that for me was like, wow. I mean, I know we do it for onlays and stuff and uh-huh. veneers. I don't tend to do it because usually the veneers I've done have been in enamel, right? Exactly. But when you are in a position, when you're into dentine, you have no choice. Just, it just shows amazing what you can achieve with the bond strength, with immediate dentine sealing, which is what we're going to unfold and how to do it, how to actually maximize it. But I just want to share that with you and the listeners in terms of what Marco Gresnik was saying at the, the conference. Yeah, no, that is for sure something that a lot of the time, especially when you're, you've got a patient who comes in and they've got a veneer that's come up. And you've got like 15 minutes to stick this thing back on. And you're looking at the tooth and it's just all dentine. And you're just like, this is just going to fail again. Usually it's another it's another dentist patient as well that you see in someone else's emergency. And uh, you sort of have to have that conversation with the patient. But now with the techniques that we have, especially with IDS, we can be a lot more predictable with that. So yeah, we can transfer what we do on the posterior to the interior as well. I mean, um, people like uh, Maxim Belagrad as well, who's amazing. He has lots of videos on, even on Instagram, where he shows where if you've got like a little bit of dentin exposure, you can just do a little bit of IDS just to seal that area and then continue on with your normal procedure in terms of your provincialization. So yeah, it's... Uh, so what's the steps, mate? mate? You know, for the younger dentist colleagues, existing students and whatnot, which by the way, as a student, I had no idea about IDS. Uh, <laughs> is it a good time now to talk about, you know, what, what are the steps? Let's say you have a huge MOD amalgam in a lower molar. Let's start from that position and then what are your steps to dismantle it and when you get to the immediate dentine sealing bit? Sure. So if you're not sure about whether you're going full coverage or not in terms of an overlay as opposed to an onlay, then you're going to dismantle the restoration, remove the entire restoration. You know, before you even go there now, tell us the difference between, because a lot of people are like, what, what, aren't they the same thing? What's the difference between an onlay and an overlay? Uh, okay. An onlay is a restoration that covers one or more cusps, but not all the cusps. And an overlay covers all the cusps. 
I know it's a bit pedantic, but I think it's important to know the difference between the two. So yeah, so if you're... And what I like what you, about you said there also is that, you know, when you go in, don't be fixated that I'm going to do an overlay. Like, I love that you keep it open and so do I. It's like, okay, I'm going to dismantle and then measure the wall thicknesses, et cetera, et cetera, and decide, is there a cusp I want to keep? Yes. Or, and sometimes you just know you're going to lose all the cusps because they're so thin. You just know from the start, right? And then you yeah, just go for it. Yeah, exactly. But other times you want to dismantle first before you commit to the exact type of restoration. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to get to the point where you've done your crucible reduction and then you realize that there's at least one or two costs that you could have maintained, which makes things a lot more difficult when it comes to restoring the tooth. Because the first point of doing a partial coverage restoration is that you want to be conservative over the tooth structure. But if you're going to go and hack it away from the beginning, then it makes things more difficult. Sometimes, to be honest, it's easier to manage on overlay preparation than it comes to an onlay preparation because you've got to seal your undercuts, make sure you've got no undercuts, make sure when you're producing your line angles, everything's nice and smooth. So it can be a bit more difficult with an onlay as opposed to an overlay. But if you're telling your patient that you want to do a more conservative treatment option, then you should go in with a more conservative mindset from the beginning. So yeah, let's say, so remove the amalgam restoration. Let's say MOD amalgam. We remove the amalgam restoration. We see what's left. We measure our wall thickness. I like to use the dental calipers to measure. And I always tend to measure from the base of the wall, where the wall, the perisovical region. So where the base of the wall is. So if you have very thick tooth structure at the, at the top of the occlusal surface, but you've got very thin slither down at the cervical margin, then that's just going to lead to that. That cusp is not necessarily protected. But a great term that I heard from Pasquale Venuti was to preserve dentine-supported enamel. Mm-hmm. So enamel without dentine support is basically an eggshell. It's not going to be protected mm-hmm. and it's not going to last. So I think that's a really important R- thing. Richard Porter taught me many years ago that uh, unsupported enamel is not your friend. It's the same it's thing, right? It's, it, it, these yeah. these are uh, clever people saying clever things. Uh, and what I like to do with my calipers is I just, you know, I used to measure the base. I used to measure the different areas. But now I, I, I kind of just look for the thinnest area. Mm-hmm. Where, what is the thinnest area? And, yeah. and that gives me, like, okay, what's the minimum thickness there? Because that's where all the stress is going to get absorbed into. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, you measure, you do your parameter measurements in terms of I'm going to reduce this, I'm going to keep this. You find out what you're going to keep and you're going to reduce. Then you reduce those areas, you do your occlusal reduction, and then... How much are we talking, mate? Because I, I like to ask my nitty-gritty <laughs> details. Like how, how much are you? So how much is Zahid doing in for 2024? Me, for me, it's dependent on the burrs that I use. So I've got these Comet burrs that are measured at one millimeter depths each way. I usually go down one millimeter, and then for my occlusal reduction, at least for my cusp reduction when I put my depth screws in, but I know I'm going to reduce a little bit further before I then do my ideas and everything. So it evens out to about between 1 and 1.5. But I aim ideally 1.5. I also have depth gauge burrs from Comet, which I use. Uh, I just run through at 1.5 millimeter depths. But yeah, I I would say anywhere between 1 to 1.5 mils. You're more conservative than me. I go for 1.5 to 2, but that's cool, man. <laughs> Honestly, it, 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 as long as we're on enamel, we've got, yeah, it's all, it's all good. And I yeah. know there's a range out there. So mm-hmm. just, just mm-hmm. yeah, we have a different compass, but, you know, it's half a millimeter here and there. I think we can both agree with that, you know, minimum 1.5 is a good place to be. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I've had this conversation with people before. And it's like, where do you get that figure from? What is that? How do you decide what should be what should be preserved and what should be reduced? Jason Smithson told me, and I believed him, and I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, there's Dichi has been and Manya have been quoted in papers saying this is what is recommended, but there's the, there's no yeah, yeah. there's no evidence base necessarily behind mm. that specific measurement. But yeah, so you've mm. done your you've done your occlusal reduction, you've, you've removed your restoration, you removed your caries, you've done your structural analysis about how much tooth structure is left. Then we're going on to do our immediate dentine sealing. So in terms of how we're going to do that, ideally, 
So before we get here, just for the younger colleagues, like, before we get to meeting and seeing, like you know, you removed all your carries, right? Yes. Everything is, you know, all the stains, carries, everything. It's, it's all nude. It's all clean. Uh-huh. It's laid uh-huh. bare. So yeah, everything is nice and clean. Well, even okay, let's say we've we've just done our carries removal. Okay, so we've used our slow speed, but we've removed all the care. Everything at the ADJ is clear. For me, I do partial carries removal as much as possible. Anywhere where I'm getting closer to the pulp and it's, it's a softer denting, then I'll, I'll scoop that out with a with an excavator. Obviously, you can also use your carries detector dies as well. I haven't converted yet, but I know you have. Maybe you can convince me. Love it, Zahid. <laughs> you, you totally need to get on it, man. <laughs> and so once we're at that point, then before I've done anything, even before I've done the analysis of the tooth, I would isolate the situation. So if I know that I can isolate prior to preparation, and I know that when I finish my preparation under isolation, so under rubber dam, if I know that I can do that then, then I know I can isolate it when it comes to cementation as well, because I know I've already done it at that stage. Whereas sometimes you end up so, so preparing. So young colleagues have, exactly, exactly. So, so, so colleagues will message me saying, oh, Jazz, I prepped for an onlay. And then uh, at the fit appointment, I really struggled to get dam on. Like, <laughs> you know, I was running 45 minutes lay. And uh, what do you do? And, and, and the simple question, just like you said now, Zahid, is did you prep under dam? Mm-hmm. Like, no, I didn't prep under dam. Well, there's your problem, right? If you just like you're coming on to now, if you can prep on the dam, you know that actually this is the correct type of restoration, and perhaps you don't need something that you'll probably expand on now, uh, deep margin elevation. Mm-hmm. Maybe we don't want to get into that because there's so much to, um, IDS to cover. Yeah. But let's have the scenario whereby we can we can isolate, we can see the enamel, we don't need this deep margin elevation, and we're going to choose to do the the IDS, which I think we're going to agree that we should routinely do this. Yes, yes, I would say so. So yeah, so rub dam isolation. And then fast forward, we've done our carriage removal and we're ready to do our IDS. So I would then do air abrasion. I have an AcuCare unit and that's with 27 micron. Posh. <laughs> oh, I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. I had the Aqua Cup before, the old one, and that packed out. So thankfully my practice bought me the AcuCare. I was, I was very thankful. I'm blessed. <laughs> how how um, much? Look, I, I know you use it a lot, right? And uh, just, just, just talk to me here, man. How much is the monthly ongoing cost because I'm a big fan of associates buying their own stuff right mm-hmm. I totally do that I bought my own T-scan for Christ's sake right so um, I'm not afraid to spend splash the cash but if the practice is going to be continuing to buy the consumables yes. what figure should I give my practice principal that okay I'll buy it but you know can you pitch in with this monthly cost to actually buy the, the powders do you, can, have you got an idea of that for me I think so there's not only the powders but there's also the servicing cost as well I don't know specifically mm. what the aqua care unit servicing cost is but I know for the old aqua cut it was at least five to six hundred pound a year, mm-hmm. and then okay. if you need any uh, repairs or anything like that, then they'll charge you their fee to come and fix the unit as well. Mm-hmm. So, but, but how often are you replacing those pots? The, the yeah, the actual powder pots. Initially, you can buy a set of pots that come together, and I would say maybe I get through one pot, let's say three to four weeks. But wow! That, but I use it for how much? You talking, man? <laughs> I I can't give you I can't give you a figure off the top of my head, but it's not cheap. I'm gonna I'm gonna find out and I'm gonna interject here and I'm gonna say okay, this is how much it costs. Which is totally just good to know, man, because uh, yeah, I'm, no, I'm sure. collecting this data so I can present it. You know, it's like okay, this is the <laughs> the, the running cost every month. Can you sort me out? <laughs> Hey guys, Jazz, just interjecting here with this important message about air abrasion. I just want to say that this is so, so, so important to the extent that I once said that I would never accept an associate position if the practice didn't have an air abrasion unit. 
and you've heard me bang on about this in, in many different episodes. So if you're still not using air abrasion in 2024, you want to do good adhesive dentistry, then please do yourself a favor. Speak to your principal, speak to the person who's got the purchasing power and really try your best to convince them. And if you can't convince them, dare I say it, buy one yourself, right? Like I know Aquacare costs a lot, it's amazing, and there's maintenance costs, but a good air abrasion unit costs anywhere from, you know, I'm going to say in, in, in dollars, maybe 400 to $800. And then in the UK, it's probably like 300 to 600 pounds. Just use any, just get one that's compatible with your chair, with your unit. Maybe all you needed was this little kick from me, this little message from me to go ahead and do it. Air abrasion is crucially important. So please, Patrice Ranti, let's start if we're not already. I use it for everything. Like totally. I'll use it for my direct restorations, indirect restorations. Even if I need to clean something out quickly just to have a look at it. Yeah. If I'm assessing for cracks, I mm -hmm. keep even use it if I'm re-cementing uh, restorations. I'll clean the fit surface with that. If I can't be able to go downstairs and use the the lab air abrasion unit, then I'll just use the one in the surgery. Use it to. That's sort why of you're do... getting through it every three to four weeks. You know, that's what, <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm using. It. Anyway, I, I stopped you. you. You were going to do either way. Whether you have aquacare, like whether yes. you're like lucky and posh like uh, Zahid, or you have what I have is like a Ronvig or a Microwetcher, whatever. You know, how essential is the air abrasion because of a lot of the protruderati you know it's one of the most common things that get messaged hey i don't have this or my principal won't buy it for me i would say that you know just buy a three four hundred pound 500 buck one just just get one mm -hmm. so 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 good but if you don't have one do you think it's still worth doing ids and continuing from here so there are other methods to clean the dentine other than using ids you can also use a pumice paste with like a bristle brush on a slow speed to clean up clean the without air abrasion you mean you meant you mean you meant yes, clean, clean without, without ideas without, you... without air abrasion air abrasion other okay. ways to clean the dentine without using air abrasion so mm -hmm. if you don't have an air abrasion unit then you can use pumice paste or you can roughen the surface of the dentine with a coarse spur at low speed okay that also comes it's good in to have other later options. on down the line if necessary yeah if your air abrasion unit packs in and you've got a restoration to cement what are you going to do how are you going to mm -hmm. clean your mm -hmm. how are you going to clean your ideas later mm -hmm. but yeah so there are other alternatives but i would say when it comes to, I'm, I'm sure you've seen from, I know you've mentioned it as well from my work that I post on Instagram, that I want everything to be as clean as possible. Like, I don't want bits and pieces of amalgam and this and that here and there. Hashtag want... believe in clean. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think the air abrasion is really important to keep everything clean. But, okay, so after air abrasion, then we're doing our etching. So Pascal Menier, in terms of how he portrayed IDS, is all about the complete etch as opposed to selective etch. So etching both your dentine and your enamel. And obviously there's different nuances to that as well. With different systems, if you've got yourself etching primers, then you don't have to etch the dentine. You can just etch the enamel. I prefer to do make sure I do things robustly. So I do complete etch. And I also like to scrub or agitate my etch on the tooth structure to make sure it's gotten everywhere I needed to get to. And I've not left any voids mm. underneath if I'm just sort of whacking it in into the cavity. And then you rinse. And you don't want to over dry. You can also use your suction to dry instead of using your three-in-one air because you can cause the collagen fibers to collapse as well. But if you imagine, it's like the way I like to think of exposed dentine is almost like when you get a scab, when you cut yourself or you have a burn and you've got that exposed layer of skin, it's going to ooze and get sticky and then eventually form a scab. And that's what exposed dentine is like. You've got your MMPs, which will come up and interfere with your bond strength and all this sort of stuff so you, you have to think of it as a living substance it's not enamel it, it just looks like a block of orange or brown or yellow to you but it is a living substance and you have to take care and protect I like it. that yeah I like that analogy but but I just want to stop you there but am I naughty am I naughty if 
I am using something like something that's supposedly quite anti-biometic. I'm, I'm using uh, the G Primo Bond, like I don't know, seventh or eighth generation. It's basically all in one bottle, right? It's my self-etching. Am I naughty if I do that? And, and perhaps people, the purists would argue that if I'm doing it that way and I'm deviating away from the protocols that, that show that you get mm-hmm. five times more bond strength, for example, yeah. or, or five times more microtensile strength, for example, then perhaps I'm not reaching the full potential. And that's probably where I sit. I think that's what, what probably the case basically until probably. the data proves it. But for convenience sake, which is why I'm doing, I'm using G Primo Bond. I'm not etching my dentine because that would be the wrong thing to do with that type of bond. What advice do you have for those of us who do selective etching and don't etch the dentine? So with the new technology of the bonding agents that have come out these days, there is still an advantage, but we'll cut, we'll sort of come onto this a little bit later, but it's a, okay. it's a concept cool. of reinforced immediate dentine sealing. So you're, okay, sweet. you can, you can use your universal bond over the dentine. But also, we're not at this point. We're not etching enamel. We're just if we're talking about direct restorations, we're bonding to enamel and dentine at the same time, applying our bond to both. And when we're doing IDS, we're just working in dentine only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, at that stage, I, I am just putting my GPM bond on the dentine only. Mm-hmm. I haven't mm-hmm. etched the enamel, and, and yeah. you're totally right. But which bond are you using? Because you said you've agitated the etch and whatnot. What system? Yeah. What bonding system? Adhesive system are you using? I am using Optibond Fill. Of course you are, mate. Of course you are. Three step, the gold standard. Yes, yes. Obviously, I mean, I used good, to. I used to use the, there's there's like a two bottle system for the Optibon. It's called Optibon Solo. I was using mm. that, but I, I mean, I am also lazy when it comes to direct restorations. I will use the Optibon Solo, the two, the one bottle system for both. But when it comes to indirect restorations, I'm not going to mess about, and I will use the Optibon Defel. I just find it so much more. Obviously, it is it takes longer, and you need to be more meticulous with it. But I find you can have so much more confidence in what you're doing if you can see exactly what you're doing. So that when you drop that, when you put that little drop of the primer onto your dentine and you see it just dissipate over the dentine surface, you can just imagine in your mind's eye that that solvent penetrating in between those collagen fibers into the dentine or tubules. And then you know that you're ready for when you then go in with your Mm -hmm. adhesive that that's all going to seal off beautifully. But obviously, if you want to be efficient and you don't want to book an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and a half for a preparation appointment, then you're going to use your single bottle adhesive. But the, the good thing about that is that if you use OptiBondafel, the adhesive itself that comes with it has a sufficient film thickness that you don't have to worry about that being lost when you come to cleaning your preparation prior to cementation at the cementation appointment. Which we'll come to, uh, yes. you know, uh, in yeah. terms of temporization, we'll come to we'll yeah. come to that, and that's very important. So what you're trying to say is basically, once you've etched, you've done the primer, you've done the adhesive, the adhesive is like, it's partially filled in Optibond FL, isn't it? That's what they call it, yeah, so it's yeah. partially it's, filled. Yeah, it's a filled uh, And resin. therefore, it, it, it almost looks like you just put flowable on it, right? Exactly. It, it, it looks like reinforced. Yeah. It, it looks yeah. stronger. It looks like a way, you know, when I put my G Primo Bond, that's got a four micron <laughs> thickness or something, right? That's, yeah. that's nothing, whereas you, you're dealing with something that's much thicker and stronger. Yes, exactly. So let's say if we're going with the G Premio Bond route, you've done that, you've you've cured that now, then that film thickness is too thin for it to last when it comes to cementation because you have to clean that surface again and you're at risk of cleaning that off. Not only that, because the film thickness is so thin, there's a risk that that layer has not been bonded because of the oxygen inhibition layer. So your that whole film thickness could not be cured because of the oxygen in the environment around it. But obviously, we'll come on to using glycerin and liquid soap mm-hmm. and other options. <laughs> <laughs> to, to... Right, well, 
<laughs> we'll talk. We'll, we'll mention. What I did. Please don't use liquid soap because he said that. There's a reason why he mentioned <laughs> liquid soap because there's a question that's a Pritishwati sent in. But anyway, let's keep on track here. We talked about using Optimum FL in your case or uh-huh. G Premium in my case. Now, with you having done the H Prime and the Optimum FL, the bond actually, uh-huh. which is partially filled, at that point, are you are you done with your IDS in terms of the actual at that appointment? So at that point, I will assess and and see if I'm happy with the general film thickness of the adhesive. So sometimes I will go back again after I've cured that layer of the adhesive and add more adhesive on to get a thicker film thickness in certain areas. I just feel like having a How thick, thick do we want? There's not an actual, as far as I'm aware, there's not a specific thickness that we're looking for. But the reason why that is, is because if we're using like G Premier Bond, so you can use your OptiBond FL and adhesive and it's fine. As long as you've got that on the tube, it's not a problem. OptiBond, the adhesive is generally quite thick so you don't have to worry about it not going into specific areas or being too thin because of the way it's formed. Whereas if you're using something like G Premium Bond, then you need to reinforce that with a flow composite, which is the next stage. Mm-hmm. If you want yeah. to be... Which, which is what I do. Yes. And then what I aim for in that, only only because I saw our, our good friend uh, Alan Bergen uh, mentioned this on the social as well, and he's a very well-read up guy. I respect him a lot. Is half a millimeter. So when I'm, when I'm doing... Obviously, like what I'm doing with my flowable to reinforce that G Premium Bond is is killing two birds with one stone. Yes, I'm doing my IDS, but I'm also blocking the undercuts, right? Which, yes. is, the, which is a beautiful thing. And then you go back and polish it away. So I, I, lo- I just it, IDS just makes so much sense to me because you're, you're, you're also getting rid of the undercuts. And mm-hmm. so what I'm doing is I'm, I'm using Genial, actually injectable, because it yes. marries so well with G Premium Bond, and it just holds its shape so beautifully. Yeah. And like for me, as long as it's a minimum half a mil thickness, but then in some areas it's going to be more because I'm trying to block the undercuts. And, yes. and then I go back and I sort of polish it back, get rid of any sharp bits, which I'm going to ask you, is that something that you do as well? Well, if you get any sort of sharp spikes uh-huh. of, of, of the of the flowable, in your case, the, the adhesive, is that part of your protocol as well? So 0.5 mil is a good parameter when it comes to the thickness of your IDS layer or the thickness of, of your hybrid layer, which you're creating. Mm. And you can use just your peri- your BPE probe just mm. to, to measure that as you're going around. Now, if you're using Genial, universal injectable, then because it holds its shape so well, you will end up with little spikes and little areas. That Spiky are not, areas. Yes. Totally. And especially with our Emacs restorations, we want everything to be beautifully smooth. So when it comes to using Optibond FL, everything sort of evens out and you don't mm-hmm. have to worry about that so much. Got Another it. thing I like to use as well, it's a bit counterintuitive for what it's used for, but I, in my daily practice, I use SDR, bulk fill flowable. Mm-hmm. And I use that almost as if like a resin coat to place over the IDS layer. And it is self-leveling, but basically what that means, it just runs and flows everywhere. So when you place that and you just, I scribe it around uncured over the tooth surface and then it will just flow and become flat on its own. Then I don't have to worry about any inaccuracies or any rough, sharp edges. But even then still, once that layer is done, then we're looking at smoothing things down, like especially if you're using Genial, then I'll go back and I'll use like a small coarse Soflex disc at very low speed and then just run that over just to smooth off any rough edges. You can also use like a fine diamond rugby ball burr just to smooth off Mm -hmm. those areas as well and just to remove any sharp edges as best as you can. Um, but my, my preference is to use the Softlex discs and then just, just run mm-hmm. it very gently but, but with over your, the surface. Once you've done your uh, Optibon FL adhesive, uh, mm-hmm. what are you then using uh, to get rid of any, eliminate any undercuts? Is it the SDR that you're relying on at that stage? So no, that that's when I would use a paste composite. So just okay. any paste composite, Venus. I use Venus or I use Toffee mm-hmm. Elma in practice and that's what I would use. Okay. But I also use Genio as well and I would use that. Mm-hmm. The problem with me is that I stare at my models when they come back from the lab and I see all these little bumps and little areas and that really annoys me. 
and I want everything to be as smooth as possible. So when I'm placing, if I'm using Genio injectable, I know that this is going to be a problem when it comes to me looking at the model when it comes back because there may be areas that are, <laughs> so I'm, I'm there like just scribing it, trying to get it flat, but I know it's not going to get flat. So yeah, that's why I prefer to use paste composite because I can place it, I can blend it with mm. a paintbrush and remove the excess mm. and then I can just polish that back with a, with a soft flex disc. How important is it to once you've done the, the IDS to go on to and it's probably something you're just about to touch on next but to go ahead and if you, you, you know with your SDR for example uh-huh. you might have got some on the enamel uh-huh. right so you, you know as part of the protocol how imperative is it to go back and with, with the type of burr and just remove the, any of the bonding system that you might have got the enamel yes so I use 7.2 my groups I think you use the same ones as me do I do, but now I just love my five so much that oh. my set. So I've got three pairs of loops now, right? So I've got I've got my five, right? And I've got the backup of the five in case my five messes up, and the backup of the backup of the five in case the the, the second one, while the first one's being fixed, it messes up. I'm just I can't do dentistry without loops. It would be a day yeah. off like work if I don't have my loops. <laughs> so that's why I went crazy. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I've still got my old three point fives, which I'm not throwing away just in case something happens. But um, I you know what's going to happen on Monday, right? You're going to drop them. You know, you know, you know it's going to happen, right? <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, so no matter how, how well I try, I cannot stop that adhesive or even the prime, whatever, from getting onto the enamel as, as, as much as I try. But obviously, you don't then want to end up in a situation where you're short of the enamel and you've got exposed dentine, which hasn't been covered either. So it's probably better mm-hmm. to go over because you have to then go back and refine your enamel margins. That's partly important to remove any adhesive that may be on that surface. But it's also important to help prevent your provisional restorations from bonding in the nightmare scenario to your preparation. But yeah, so so that's that's where we're at. So, so, so what, done... what, what are you using? Because I, I tend to use yellow rugby balls and, and sometimes mm-hmm. white stones if it's like a minimal amount. Because obviously, if it's just the G Premier that's got on the enamel, I'm good with the white stone, right? But yes. if I've managed to get some of that, my Genial injectable on the enamel, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. I'm going to be using my, my yellow stone. Uh, anything that you like to use? Yeah, so I like to use... So I've got a, an indirect preparation kit from Comet, and they have... You're so uh, fancy, man. They've got... Uh, <laughs> um, it, I've probably blunted all the bears in that kit. I've only just got a new one, and I <laughs> use the same kit for everything. But yeah, so it's got like a flame-shaped fine diamond, a red stripe, and I just run that over, especially in the interproximal mm. areas, I just run that at low speed with an so electric handpiece. Yeah, just very slowly. Just no... The nurse has got the suction in the area, but I'm using it without water. And I'm just like very slowly and gently just running over those margins, just removing any adhesive that's there and just trying my best to get a nice flowing margin all the way around my enamel. I'll also use the coarse soft flex disc for that as well, the small one. Mm. And I'll mm. also uh, use the rugby balls on any any areas where I want to bevel my margins, like on the buckle, on the buckle aspect to try and help blend the restoration in into the preparation. Palatally, usually I'm just doing like a, a butt finish. And then I also have a like an end end cutting burr so it's it's only it's like mm, a it's like mm. a cylinder and it's only got diamonds at the base and i would use that to refine the box as well but you can also use a white nice. stone just a just a white mm-hmm. stone that's been modified to do that as well and that's usually what i would do yeah at that point uh, uh, can we now say that once you smooth it block the undercuts extra that we have just performed a successful ideas yes i would say we're there now we are there but then, but then the issue is, which you, which you alluded to already, that if you go ahead and now put your bisacryl material on this, it's, it's going to stick. And, you know, it's happened yes. to me years ago. It doesn't happen to me so much anymore. And it's because I am totally happy for there to be like 
the composite or my, my IDS to be completely covered in saliva before <laughs> I actually put some, I use saliva as my separating agent, if you like. Um, <laughs> yes. I don't actually do the glycerin cure. So please, please tell us about the next steps that you do to make sure that your bisacral doesn't bind to your IDS. So the whole reason why we can stick increments of composite to composite when we're doing our direct restorations is because of the oxygen inhibition layer. Because the surface of that composite has not set, we can add composite to composite incrementally and glue composite together. So when we get to the end of our IDS, we've got a surface layer of uncured resin, which is sticky. And that sticky surface can then bond to our temporary crown material, if it's a resin-based, acrylic-based material. And Luxotem, ProTem, whatever yes. you're using. What, what, do you use, what do you use at the moment? So I use uh, ProTemp or I've, I've moved over to Clip now, actually. And that doesn't seem to stick at all. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, it doesn't stick? No, no, no. Clip is... Oh, I can't believe I hadn't used it before, but it's like... Especially in the posterior region, you don't have to worry about it. Oh, as in it just, doesn't stick to your IDS, you mean? Yes, yes. Because it's okay, quite cool, spongy, cool. you can just pop it back off. But I'd still do the uh, oxygen inhibition layer anyway, regardless. Okay, um, but yeah, so, so, so Clip or the other alternative would be a Telio by Ivoclar, right? Yes, same, same, yes. same stuff, right? Yes, yeah, so you just, yeah. I think Clip is a Voco product. Yes. So you roll it into a ball, you thumb it in. It's, well, tell us more about that protocol shortly. But either way, whatever you're using, uh, because one of the questions we had recently on the on the, on the on the app was, how do I get more retention from my Telio? Because the, the, these yeah. guys are finding that Telios are coming off. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But anyway, <laughs> what are you using to get rid of the oxygen inhibition layer so that you don't get this Clip or this Telio or the Bizacryl sticking to your IDS? So initially, I would use glycerin, just, just normal glycerin that you can get from the pharmacy. There are branded KY? ones which are very, yes, you can get KY. If you're fancy like jazz, you can use KY. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not fancy. <laughs> I, I switched to something called Anagel, which is this ultrasound gel. I picked this up from Marchetto. Oh, gosh, I'm going to get his name now. It's Italian chap. Anyway, cool Italian chap who, who uses ultrasound gel. So I bought this like, big. What I love about this ultrasound gel is like it's a big tube. They can just pfft, squeeze, yeah. right? It's just so good. And then you don't you avoid that awkward thing about people opening up your drawers and seeing KY jelly <laughs> or patients <laughs> tasting it and or, you know, all sorts yes. of fun, funny things that can happen scenarios. So Anagel for the win. <laughs> uh, one of the producers, right, he actually messaged saying, can you use liquid? soap like he, he, he messaged this on, on the app and he said can you use liquid soap I said you probably could but in, in my mind like why do you want to produce bubbles and stuff right and, and liquid soap probably costs more money than glycerin I'm thinking I don't know since COVID maybe I don't know <laughs> I'm sure there's like because even after you've washed your hands you've got the fragrance that's left if you're using mm. liquid soap you've got all the other things a that nice might smelling cause... only yeah yeah I mean the patient might not like it because it would taste horrible <laughs> but um, but yeah so I was using glycerin but it would I felt it was quite runny and it would just run off while I'm trying to cure the oxygen emission layer. So after, off your recommendation, I moved to Anagel. And that really helps oh, holds its shape and form. But you can also, if, you're, if you've got the rub down one, and if you don't have any of that, then depending on where it is in the situation, you just need something that's see-through, that light can penetrate through, that removes the oxygen from the area. So you can also mm. use water. You can just get your three-in-one, put the water, and make it pool up over your restoration, as long as it doesn't fall out of the patient's mouth. And then like you're through that. That also works as well. Mm -hmm. Because, mm -hmm. because so anything that blocks the, the air would, would work. But yeah, you know, it yeah, just, exactly. there's a reason when people use glycerin. And I, I, yeah, just like you said, the reason I, well, I, I took that recommendation, I moved to uh, an ultrasound gel. And our gels is one that I just experimented on Amazon and it worked well. Please, it's Anagel without the L in the middle. So it's not anal gel, it's Anagel, people. Please, pe people misread that on my post once and they think, what the hell are you using? This is worse than KYJ. It's, it's not anal gel, it's Anagel, by the way. <laughs> okay, so let's get that out of the way. So you've done your curing uh, with the air block to get rid or cure 
before the this uncured oxygen inhibition layer. Yes. Now we're ready for how we usually do our temporaries. Now I'm actually interested in um, your clip strategy. Uh-huh. Uh, tell me about your clip strategy. Like, what are you? What is your end objective? Like, are you having it in the bite so you prevent the eruption kind of thing? Are you making sure that it touches the adjacent teeth to prevent tilting? Uh-huh. How much do we need, basically? So I've used and I do uh, rotate between using temporary crown material like ProTemp, using liquid dam or using clip or telio. But mm. if we're talking about clips specifically, so preparation is done, everything's ready, impression has been taken, and we're just temporizing that. So I find it to be very sticky, and usually you sort of roll it up into a ball, get it onto the prep, and it ends up coming off on your thumb. So I'll put a little bit of glycerin or anachor on my thumb or my glove, <laughs> and then just adapt it onto the occlusal surface, get it into the interproximal areas as well, but above the gingiva. So you're helping to lock mm. it in into position. So you're stopping any tilting of the neighboring So you're kind of getting it over the maximum velocity of the adjacent teeth, right? But you're still preserving that sort of just most apical gingival bit to allow a TP to go through. Exactly. So once I've done that, then I'll get the patient to bite into their occlusion and then I'll cure it, or at least partially cure it from the buccal aspect to get it cured. How about getting them to grind left and right to eliminate the excursive load? Is that something? So, So first thing I would do is to get them to sort of bite an ICP and then cure it. And then if you're trying to get them to move in excursive movements while it's still unset, it's just going to pop off again. It's just going to Got come it. out Got or it. it will stick to the lower tooth and come out as well. So yeah, you'll get them to buy into ICP, partially cure it, then get them to open again then fully cure it, then check that first in ICP, see if there's anything that's come off as they've opened and just uh, remove any excess and then check them in lateral excursions and remove any interferences that may be preventing them from moving in lateral excursions as well. But when it comes to, so other techniques that I use as well is like with ProTemp, there you would use, and what something that Pascal Manu also recommends is to put glycerin over the preparation before you pop your ProTemp with your putty or whatever you're using pre-op. So this is glycerin and you're not curing through it, you're just putting it over as a separating agent, like exactly. I use saliva. Like saliva, uh... exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. Yes, I find the glycerin to be a bit easier to apply into specific areas, especially like undercuts and things like that. But yeah, you can use saliva as well. It's probably readily available. <laughs> Has to be the patient's saliva, by the way. Trying to <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> but trying to get the patient to lick the tooth that you've been working on is not always the easiest thing to do. But yeah, but, so then you get your patistan, you put that over the area, then you take that off when it's partially partially set, not fully set, because you don't want it to knock in over place over the preparation. Then you need to remove your excess, get everything nicely smooth. And then uh, what I found as well is that sometimes it's useful to create a little bit of space on the between, if you're going to use your something like tampon or something like that, that's going to be of a specific film thickness that may prevent your provisional restoration from fully seating. So you might need to make a little bit of space on the occlusal surface of your... The, the of your inner surface, rest- the intaglio surface. The intaglio surface of your temporary restoration. So there's film thickness for it to seat and not seat high or prevent it seating correctly. This is also a technique I picked up from Atik Rahman, who mentioned mm-hmm. this as well, especially for anterior restorations, to create like a little little hole for your temporary cement to come out or for your anterior restorations. Mm-hmm. So they fully mm-hmm. seat. It's Jazz interjecting again. That's a great little tip there, you know, adjusting the inner surface or the intaglio surface of a crown to give you some space for that temporary cement. Because sometimes the crown can be so thin that the temporary cement will actually crack it. You must have had that happen to you before when you're trying to seat a temporary crown. And as you seat it, it's soaking up so much pressure that it just cracks. So to have that 
that space for the temporary cement is a good idea. And the name given to the inner surface of the crown is intaglio. And of course, if you remember from the last episode, intaglio is the name of this new service that I'm co-founding to absolutely revolutionize mentoring. In dentistry and in all aspects of healthcare, we're starting in dentistry, which is finding a mentor and helping the mentors find the mentees. I meet so many great experienced dentists who want to have the opportunity to share their knowledge and share their experience with younger colleagues. But they're like, where are these guys? I don't see them. They're not here at the study clubs. Where are they? So we want to connect mentors and mentees. So if you're interested in being a mentor or a mentee or both, check out www.intagliomentoring.com. Never forget that word, intaglio. It's my favorite word in dentistry. It means the inner surface of a crown or a denture, and it sounds like a pasta. What's not to love? It's a, it's a similar concept, creating space for the excess to come out. Because you don't want to go through all of that. You've temporized the tooth, and then the patient comes back an hour later saying it popped out on its own, which has happened to me many mm. times. And then other ways to help keep that in place is to just tech cure some flowable composite into the embrasures so it's not going to pop out but just keep it above the gingiva when you're doing that. And then another technique, would, like I said, would be to use liquid dam or those sorts of things. Whereas with that, it's very easy because you just sort of get it into the interproximal areas over the surface of the preparation into the next interproximal area and cure it. And that will just lock everything in place and hold it, hold everything where it needs to be. I guess there is a risk of uh, over-eruption, but we're only talking about two weeks, so it I shouldn't mean, the, the be The over-eruption would be from the, the, the lower yes, the uh, opposing tooth, or, or, or opposing, yeah, whatever, yeah. upper or lower. Yeah. Opposing tooth would be over-erupting because, because you've put the liquid dam on the adjacent teeth. That's actually stopping your prep tooth from over-erupting, but it's also <laughs> stopping the teeth from tilting in. But yeah, exactly. you're right. It's just a couple of weeks, right? And, 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 yeah. I, and I've seen that technique being used. I guess I would probably be more prone to use it, A, if I'm running out of time, and B, if it's a root-filled tooth. Do, do you have the same feelings on that? Yeah, no, usually I end up opting for liquid dam if the patients come back because their provisional, the pro temp has popped off. So I'm like, let me just, mm -hmm. let me just do this instead. But I find that mm -hmm. clip or TDO is a foolproof and very quick way. And because it's quite spongy, okay. it's, it's a bit more compliant in the patient's mouth in that two week period before they come back for them for the final restoration. And it's easy to remove as well. Well, we'll talk about removal, but I think Jordan on our, on our little Telegram group, he suggested uh, as a tip to, to one of the producer writers who said that my, my clip or my telio is coming off would be to spot etch the, the prep a little bit mm -hmm. before doing the, the clip. Obviously, your experience suggests that you, in your hands, it seems to work well, but I guess that's something someone could do maybe five, 10 seconds before putting the clip on. It might be a bit more of a bitch to, to remove at, yeah. at the removal visit, yeah, at, the, at your yeah. visit. So how easy, what, what are you doing to just flick off the, the clip? So... Usually, so what I would do before is to try and sort of ease it out from all the sides, get it nice and loose, and then pop it off. But I find that, especially at the cementation visit, the thing that can take the longest and that should take the least amount of time is taking off your provisional restoration. That's the most stressful part. If you can just quickly take it off, then you're into your cementation protocol. But that is the limiting factor usually for everything, for me anyway. And it's a bit that annoys mm -hmm. me the most. So... Let's say if, if I'm using liquid dam, then that's just getting something like Mitchell's trimmer basically underneath and popping it out. Mm -hmm. If I'm using clip, again, I can just get the Mitchell's or flat plastic or something and pop it out. When it comes to pro temp or something that's a bit more, has more coverage, I'll tend to either use root forceps or artery forceps mm -hmm. and then just Actually, pop it on. Okay, mosquitoes or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then just rock it and then it will just pop on. Because if you're using... Yeah, that, that's usually what I do. Yeah. Uh, and, and usually, like, uh, usually I've, I would have used Duralon or equivalent, like, or PolyF or Zinc polycortic cement. Is that something you use or you tend to stick to Tempond? So I find that Tempond is very easy to remove. 
whereas yeah. uh, Duralon can be a bit more difficult to remove when you want you to get it. You need a bit more time with your exactly. pulse scaler. Exactly, yeah. 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 But yeah, no, I use Duralon as well. And I, f I find that's great too. It just takes a little bit more time. Tempon is just a bit but perhaps for a patient who is going away or has an important thing to attend to, and therefore it's a bit more uh, unforgiving scenario, and therefore uh -huh. you want something more robust. Maybe you know because there's no hard and fast rules, and I, lo I love that. Yeah, you, know, you have all these things in your armamentarium to use in appropriate scenarios, and I like the uh -huh. fact that you also discuss like little shortcut techniques to uh, uh -huh. improve the efficiency. But you have to you know, choose thing everything by its merit in terms of what's best for your individual patient for that individual exactly. too. Exactly. Yeah. You can't have only one way for everything. You have to be able to be flexible when it comes to different scenarios. But yeah, if it's a patient that is going away for a while or maybe is going on holiday the day after you've done the preparation, then you want to use something a bit more robust to hold everything in place. So yeah, that's where I would use Duralon in situations like that. But yeah, so excellent. And and and, and top tips for for, for temporaries in my experience have been to light occlusion in MIP or mm -hmm. ICP and, and then no excursions. Yes. You know, why would you want yeah. excursions in that basis? Yeah. It's something else. So yeah, you, do, you follow that as well. You can use Duralon. You can use Tempon if you, if you, like, like if you want to, if, you, if it's a less forgiving, it's a more forgiving scenario, for example. And the other technique of clip that you mentioned, I'm very grateful for that. And and then if you are struggling with that for some reason, then Jordan, Frank Gate, one of the producers, he suggested maybe spot etching. Uh -huh. uh, I think we've covered uh, some, bo you know, some Brucey bonus there of temps as well. So when we now come to the fit appointment, uh, yes. I have heard that because we're doing immediate dentine sealing, that it's so good that you may not need to use local anesthetic. Well, there we have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Hey, can you answer this question? The question I have for you is question number four of our CPD quiz, which is what was the final reduction depth that Zahid aims for? Remember, we are slightly different, but Zahid, what was it, what was it that he was aiming for? Was it a reduction depth of 0.5 millimeters? Was it one millimeter? Was it 1.5 millimeter? Or was it two millimeters? If you think you can answer this question, then you're almost there to getting some CPD. Wouldn't that be so nice? Imagine Imagine listening to every episode and by the end of the year, you've racked up 40 hours just from the new episode, let alone the library of 250 hours worth of content. So if you want to start collecting CPD by answering just a simple few questions, you know what to do. You're going to head to protrusive.app. Obviously, we're changing everything over like next week. So maybe hold off a week if you want. But at some point, it'd be great for you to join because if you've made it all the way to the end of the podcast, I'm hoping you're enjoying this and you're getting a lot of value from this. And I promise you the community on Protrusive Guidance and the clinical videos and masterclasses. And also we're launching Sectioning School. I didn't even mention that. How could I forget? Sectioning School will be uploaded. So high quality point of view 4K clinical videos of me removing several teeth using my through the loop camera. Of course, watch out for next week's episode, which will be part two of this episode and the second one for Adhesive Month. And the last thing I'm going to say is uh, your homework. Just watch out for the emails, okay? So those of you who subscribe to my emails and on the socials, just watch out. This is a big week. We're doing a lot of hard work behind the scenes of migrating. That's, you, once you join Protrusive Guidance, you'll see how vast it is, how clean it is, and how much hard work went into it. So we're just gearing everything up and ready for it. So watch out for the emails in terms of how to seamlessly migrate from the old app to a new one, or just if you want to jump in straight to a new one, start fresh and all that. But if you are a Protrusive Premium member already, you definitely want to be checking your emails because I'm going to be offsetting the inconvenience of having to change platforms, right? There's an inconvenience, even though it's a massive upgrade, like a huge upgrade, there's still an inconvenience because there's change. So there's a special little something, something in there for you in the, in the emails, if you like, to make sure there's no hard feelings about this change, yeah? Thanks again, and I'll catch you same time, same place next week.